Hey, everybody. Welcome to the crossover. I'm Dan Clark, and I'm joined as always by my good buddy, Sean Keating. Greetings, everybody, and coming off a hot, fresh episode with Eric Godsey. What an episode. It was a ton of fun. Um, Got a a lot of positive feedback about uh, Eric's uh, appearance on the pod, and um, you can listen to that if you haven't already on uh, Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. And please subscribe. Please rate and review. We are off to a great start for the 2020-2021 school year. Um, Today on the show, we're going to talk about emotional intelligence. We're going to maybe go a bunch of different directions today. We'll (laughs) see where it goes. Um, Just before the show here, we were getting a little fired up about everything going on in the world, but um, we're excited to be with you today. And um, before we jump into emotional intelligence, um, we should tell our listeners that we've been looking at a little bit of a rebrand. We've been doing this podcast since back in March and... um, you know, you, if you've been following along with us, we, we are really, really grateful for that. Um, we hope you've enjoyed what we've put out. We've had a, a number of different guests and, and we've tried to cover a variety of topics. But one of the things that we think that we've kind of um, zeroed in on for our show is that we're really um, trying to go, I guess, beyond the chalkboard or beyond just the standards in the curriculum. And we're trying to um, instill in our students and instill in our listening audience advice um, just about life and what successful people do and um, some some tools, some um, things to think about to live the best life you possibly can. And unfortunately, in um, an educational system, which we're really familiar with and with how busy everyone is in their family life, um, sometimes getting some of this um, life advice is hard to come by. Um, and so we have gone through a bunch of different things, but I think we've come up with the drum roll, please. The eternal student. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also kind of reflective of the fact that, you know, we're never, we're never done learning new things. Um, and this, this kind of came up in, in that conversation with Eric Godsey. Once you left the conversation, I had this epiphany moment where, it seemed like we were, or at least I was masking all the questions with, you know, what can kids or what can students do? Blah, 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 blah. But when I thought about it, it, it turns out that I think in reality, what I'm doing is I'm asking those questions for myself, but I seem to be masking it with what do students need to, to know? But I, because I need to know the exact same thing, you know, and I, I realized that, there are definite areas that, you know, of my life that are not where I would like them to be. And that's probably accurate for everybody. If you took an honest, you know, inventory of your mental health or your habits or your efficiency or your, you know, your, your thinking, your thinking patterns. Um, So this new rebranding is kind of just a, a narrowed down focus on some of those things Sean talked about and the idea that, you know, you can, you're never too, too old to realize that there's something you don't know. Yeah. And, and the best people we know, um, are learn-it-alls. They're not know-it-alls. Um, they're constantly searching for new information and, and trying to, um, build good habits and, uh, be better. And, it's been a it's been a blast as I've started the school year. I've talked uh, I've started a new class this year, an elective science class called the Science of Mindset and Nutrition. And in our first unit, we've really been just diving into uh, mindset, and um, it's been really really fascinating to um, get to know these kids and to have them journal and have them talk about some of these issues that we talk about on the show. And and one of them. Um, that I reference pretty often is something called emotional intelligence. And this is something that's been studied quite, quite intensely. And um, I think it's a, it's a great place to start today as we start back to school 
and we have kids that have been um, out of in-person learning for six months. Um, they've been on their devices um, more than probably regularly. They're starved for some social um, interaction and they're getting it and the kids have been awesome. Um, but emotional intelligence really, um, you'll see different things everywhere, but really five factors that I think go into it. And the first that I've been working on with my students is called self-awareness. And this is the ability for anybody to be aware of why they're feeling what they're feeling. And, you know, whether that's through self-reflection, journaling, prayer, meditation, um, to try to understand why they're emotional about different things. And if they're getting angry or they're getting sad or they're feeling anxiety, like I felt uh, when COVID started, um, having an awareness to be able to talk to somebody, to be able to journal about it, whatever it might be. And then the second part would be self-regulation. That's the ability to actually regulate your emotions. The third would be empathy, which is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and actually listen, trying to understand them rather than listening to speak or listening just, you know, kind of passively. And then the fourth would be motivation. Um, to be emotionally intelligent, you need to be motivated. So you need to have some goals. You need to have, um, think about what you want your future to be. And then number five, which we see um, big time in high school kids is social skills, um, the ability to have a conversation. And this one I tested in my class. I said, hey, we're going to do a little round of speed dating. Um, you're going to partner up with somebody you don't know. I'm going to give you like three, four minutes and you're going to ask them questions. And the first time I did it, they asked questions like, what's your favorite color? Where do you want to go to eat your last meal? And they were done after like 30 seconds. And we had to talk about how do you have a conversation and how do you ask good questions and how do you keep a conversation going and how do you extract information that is interesting about people and those social skills I don't think are always taught and I think they need to be taught and I think it's a bigger issue that we could we could dive into here but I think the bottom line is this in this country students have gone to school for nine months a year since they've been in kindergarten um, the parents typically both parents are working the family time, the family teachable moments are less and less and less because of how distracted we all are. And social skills, as we know, are severely limited and distracted by this thing called a cell phone and video games and iPads. And so um, I'm really, part of my class is to try to really make kids aware of what emotional intelligence is. And the study after study are showing that the workforce would rather have people with high emotional intelligence rather than high academic intelligence. Um, meaning if you had someone high academic but low emotional, that wouldn't be good. And obviously you want somebody to have both. Um, we've all been to a doctor that may be very, very good, but if they can't talk to you and they can't have good bedside manner, then they're not the same. They're not at the potential that they could be if they had high emotional intelligence. So that's kind of the the grounding for where we're going to go today, and then we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, that reminds me. I mean, all all those things you said bring up lots of different things for me. I mean, even like the social skills part. Um, even with our in our interview with Eric Godsey, um, you talk about you know how to how to ask authentic questions, how to have a conversation. You know, as a teacher, I feel like I have those skills, but when you're put into new situations that you know you're not. Uh, obviously used to, sometimes those skills seem to leave you. I mean, there were moments in that interview where, you know, I was just so happy to have him on the show that my brain was all over the place with, what, do you, what am, where are you going to go next with this? And maybe the best answer to that would have been to, you know, try to be aware of that and then regulate that by telling myself to calm down and just listen to what he's saying and play off of that. And it's not as if once you know how to do it, you're going to do it all of a sudden great in every single situation. But I think with that awareness and that ability to regulate yourself comes this ability to be okay with fumbling a little bit. Um, I mean, personally, I think since I've been a kid, I've had this problem where 
my mind is racing with all the things I want to say. And when I try to put them into words, uh, I would stutter a little bit. I would just kind of trip over my words. And this is probably evident on this show even. (laughs) Um, But I'm aware of that. And it's been a long journey to the point where I may slip up, but once I slip up, I just, I accept it. I move on. I just kind of fumble through it and realize that, you know, it's, it's okay to trip through it sometimes because it's not going to be perfect. And Eric Godsey talked about how, you know, he had a stutter and throughout the interview, there was about, there was a few times where he did kind of revert back to his stutter. But I mean, based on the type of person he is, he just accepted that and mm-hmm. moved through it and didn't dwell on it, which I think a lot of times with, with young people or students, I notice is that, and even when I, myself as a high school student, was the ability to unhealthily, so the word, dwell on like the incidents or the moments where you did trip up or, you know, it's, it's easy to reference sports here. Like you did blow your coverage and you let someone score a touchdown and you just you replay that over and over again. Um, and if we're talking about, you know, just the speed dating example, um, <laughs> I mean, there were times where I tried to talk to girls and right, did, well. didn't, uh, <laughs> did not go very smoothly. <laughs> and then I just played that situation back like a broken record. And it definitely wasn't helpful until you become aware of those things and you realize how unhelpful and what, you know, how, how unhelpful that is and what actually is going on. Yeah. And it's, it's kudos to you to beat yourself up, which I know you do a little bit after uh, a show and then regroup and put yourself back out there. And I think that's, that's a big part of emotional intelligence is being vulnerable and, you know, kind of that growth mindset. Um, I also talked to my students that I think if everyone thinks right now of somebody with low emotional intelligence, the descriptors of somebody with low emotional, they call it EQ, emotional quotient, I believe, um, and they compare EQ, EQ to IQ, but low emotional intelligence people are argumentative, they don't listen, they blame other people, and they have outbursts um, of emotions. And I think we can all think of people that are like that, and we can also think of ourselves, moments where we've done this, and um, as an adult in the workplace, if you can't listen and you're blaming other people all the time and you're highly emotional, um, not a lot of people are going to want to have you around. Um, and you're probably going to alienate yourself and you're going to look for other people like you that can, you know, uh, bitch and complain together. And um, mm, yeah. you're not going to find the right um you know, ability to grow. And I, and I encourage you, if you're around people with low emotional intelligence, you probably need to be aware (laughs) of where they're at and, um, not find yourself going down that road too far. Um, we can all just think of people that are just nice to be around. And those are people that I would say have really good emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not as if, I mean, do do you think that if you have a high emotional intelligence, it never, there's never like ebbs and flows with it? Oh, there definitely is. But I think you're able to handle those ebbs and flows much better than somebody that uh, has an outburst and, and, you know, is recommended for anger management again. (laughs) Um, And not to say like that means you're a terrible person, but it means you got work to do. It means you might have more work to do than others, but we all know that, you know, I've had players many times that can't handle their emotions. And I I love this quote that said, he who angers you owns you. Yeah. And we all know that if we're emotional, we don't make good decisions. We say things we're going to regret. All that happens, right? So um, it's very clear that that's not the answer. And in, you know, I always joke with my students, you know, there's a number of things you don't really want to get into a heated discussion with because it could ruin your friendship or a family, (laughs) a family relationship. But 
those things in the past used to be things like, you know, abortion and gay marriage and climate change and religion. And now it's COVID. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you, if you're with someone with low emotional intelligence, chances are you're going to get in a shouting match. And then it's going to be, are you going to make up or are you just going to go your separate ways? And that's why I think it's really important to be able to keep your emotions in check and be aware. And I tell my kids, like, the only way to be aware is you're going to have to screw up, think and reflect a little bit. You can't constantly be distracted. And so what I told them is I said, unfortunately, in this country, what we do is we just eat a ton of food and become obese. We drink alcohol. We take painkillers and we numb it. We just, we just become numb to the emotions. And if you're numb, you can't be aware. And it's like Eric Godsey said. So then what happens is you just suffer for so long until a point where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like, when are you going to be just sick and tired of being obese and numbing it and whatever it is, you know, because at some point you have to realize, and all my kids went through this experience because some of them were very, very scared to have these conversations. But when they are done, they had this feeling of like, man, that was felt really good to learn something about somebody and have genuine good conversation. And that feeling, hopefully, will open a door of like, okay, one more step, one more step of pushing myself out of my comfort zone because they never regret it. You know, they never regret growing. And once you get a little taste of growth, if you can start down that path, as we've talked about, it can lead to some really, really powerful changes in your life. And unfortunately, so many people don't even know what they're missing out on because they've never, ever taken a moment to be aware to just take a moment. I checked their cell phone data. Right. I've got kids 10, 11, 12 hours a day on their device. Parents, I'm telling you, you should be on your kids about those device times. Even the best psychologists in the world, their kids and their phone is a huge issue. And if you're on your phone, you don't have a chance to be aware. You just don't. Your brain's distracted. And so that's a whole nother topic. We might re uh, go down that road again, but I don't think the, the device distraction and the social media aspect is getting enough. I, I, I'm really convinced that it's it's having a huge giant impact on our, our this generation of kids we're raising. And we know that, but it's what are we doing about it? It's, it, it's one of those numbing factors, you know, like it's numbing for a teenager. Right. I mean, even I've heard, I heard Louis CK back before he was, you know, blacklisted Ooh, yeah. from the world, <laughs> uh, talk about a situation where he was in a car and, you know, a song came on the radio and it just, it put him in a place of, I don't know. He just wanted to, he wanted to start crying. And he said his first initial reaction to that was to grab his phone and to look at something because he didn't. I mean, his, maybe his brain or, or his, you know, one of his, you know, his brain didn't want him to feel that sadness. So, I mean, that's the exact thing that's happening, I feel like, you know, with the inability to, you know, grow in the social skills area is not, is numbing yourself from feeling those, you know, highs and lows that make you more aware of, you know, where you're at. Um, and I mean, it's so, it's so easy because it's just, you know, usually less than a foot away from you to just quickly numb yourself from feeling any terrible feeling. And I'm, I mean, we're all guilty of it. We all are everybody. Um, yeah, I think, so if I'm at a parent meeting to start our basketball season, um, one of the questions I ask the parents is if, if your son does not get the playing time, does not get the recognition, if we don't win the amount of games that you are hoping for, what do you want for your son? And the parents come back with the things you'd, you'd expect, right? We want my kid to learn hard work and how to be a good teammate and how to have, you know, integrity and be loyal and be, you know, have good relationships and friends, right? So we say these things. But at the end of the day, what we all want is that success piece. So in sports, it's playing time. It's your name in the paper. It's 
points and goals. In the classroom, it's A's. It's recognition on awards night. It's scholarships to college. It's all of that. And unfortunately, I think one of the things that we've really missed out on, and it's one of the things, the reason I started a class like this and in our basketball program, the reason I, I, I genuinely say that we're trying to grow the whole athlete and not just win games is that it is important. It, it, it's what generations of families have always said is what's most important. We want to raise children that are honest, that are trustworthy, that are hardworking, that are polite, that are like, these are the things we've always wanted and we know make good humans. But the problem is we don't put the priority on it that it needs and that is demanded of it. And I also think in the last 50 years, if we, as we've talked about how fatherhood has changed and we've talked about how, you know, two, you know, basically both parents have to work now, they're just, there aren't the resources put into it. And unfortunately, a lot of it then falls on a teacher who's educating or a coach or whatever to get an experience, right? To get your kids an experience where they're going to learn some of these things, whether it's youth group or whether it's whatever. And I just believe it should be a core fun, you know, fundamental part of our education system. And I also think it, it, we need to help parents and families with this and we need to, to just make it a huge deal. And like, I joke with people all the time that like, if I were to start a school, like I would be teaching emotional intelligence half the day and, and how to talk to each other and, and how to, how to be aware of your emotions and, and how to find out what you really, really want. And I just think the distractions that life presents nowadays, and unfortunately, number one with that device, are really impeding the opportunity for everybody to grow. Yeah, I mean, when I talk to past students, I, I know that it's not, you know, the election of 1968 that they remember from class. You know, it's because we don't, you know, it's not, it's not a focus on the, the typical, you know, standards, right? It's that idea of let's try to make you a better human, uh, you know, by the time you leave this class. Um, and I think if it's presented in a palatable manner, most students are gonna, are gonna digest that. But I know given the current situation, you know, and it's, you know, with, with social media and cell phones, I feel like it's also been magnified by, you know, six months of mostly digital everything. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for me, I've experienced some, some cases this past couple of weeks where it's, it's like I'm at, I'm, I'm going to have to add some extra spices onto that uh, meal to make it palatable. Um, because I feel like a lot of times or what's happening is because of the experience of, you know, last, last spring's digital distance learning for the country or the, you know, majority of the world, um, a lot of teenagers feel like they can simply just mute themselves. Um, and once we're seeing them re-entered into the, the, the social world again, they're finding that that's not, I mean, they're not, I don't think it's transferring as to what's actually happening. You know, we're, we're snapping out of that, but I can still see the remnants of that taking place. And and one, I I read him a quote from a book um, the other day that I tried to snap them out of it, kind of a, you know, something that Eric Godsey mentioned. Um, But it's, it's a, it's a, it's one that I keep coming back to, and it's that, you know, one day, is I mean, this is pretty bleak, but it's bleak <laughs> in a good way, okay? Yep. One day, you and everyone you love will die and be on a small group of people for an extremely brief period of time. Little of what you say or do will ever matter. That is the uncomfortable truth of life, and everything you think or do is but an elaborate avoidance of it. We are inconsequential cosmic dust bumping and milling about on a tiny blue speck. We, ima- we imagine our own importance. We invent our purpose. We are nothing. Now, you may hear that and say, well, that's a pretty terrible way to look at life. But the point of that quote is to not 
it's not to get you to feel like you are nothing. It's to take that and use it as a jumping off point or an inspiration to realize that why not do something or why not say something? Why not take every chance I can to learn something um, or to be better or to be more aware? And I feel like quotes like that um, or trying to teach kids in a different way is just trying to, you know, snap them out of what they've been conditioned to believe is what society wants. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I, I, I think it's, as we, we're going through this and when you, when that can sound bleak and stuff, we, we've just talked about that, like you need to understand that life is short, that, Sometimes, unfortunately, like we can't force feed a tragic moment on you for you to reset your life and put it in a different direction. And I think one of the things that we need to do a better job of and that I know is just here's the bottom line. If, if, if you're at school and you go home and you're on a device and you're not having a lot of conversations and you're not having a lot of, um, you know, chances to interact with somebody that is positive, that is going to believe in you. There's going to be a true friend and build healthy relationships, right? If we know that, like no one's on their deathbed saying, I wish I had more TikTok time. You know, I wish I had, you know, watched one more YouTube video that they recommended for me. You know, no one's saying that. What we know matters is deep, meaningful relationships. And to have a meaningful relationship, I ask the listeners to think about what are you doing to have meaningful relationships with the people around you and the people you care about and the people that you want to spend more time with. Because it does take effort and it does it does take time and it do, you do have to be willing to be vulnerable and aware. And so I, I, I think we're trying to give you a little like, whether God's, he called it a cheat code or a little secret, like here's the secret, like invest in the things that matter and you have to take some time to do that. And we as teachers, we as parents, we as we need to do a better job of believing in everybody and pumping them up and not always filling them with, oh, this this world's gonna, you know, it's a crazy world that we're out there with and this country's headed in this direction and blah, blah, blah. Like what fun is that to be a young person and hear us old people talk like that? You know, like th- life is still really damn good and there's some great, moments to be had and we need to be optimistic about what what these kids can do and they can do amazing things that we never even envisioned and that's why like that's why i think that 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 quote even though it may sound bleak is the opposite right why shouldn't you just shoot for the greatest possibility ever If, if you only get one shot like why what's stopping you from giving it you know you're all in everything. I mean, that's the idea. You can either interpret that as, well, I'm just going to go crawl into a hole and die, or this is it? Like, okay, I better like get out there and actually put forth an effort so that this experience can be the greatest experience that ever existed. And there have been people that have done that, right? There are people who have shot for the stars and they've gotten there. I mean, think of any entrepreneur or you know, anybody who had a dream that accomplished it, it's because they saw that this was it and that why, why not? You know, the idea of why not is probably something that if I could instill into everybody, it would be that. For sure. Absolutely. And that's the whole growth fixed mindset. And I talk about every year with my students. That's what it is. It's I tell them like, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You're afraid of talking to somebody? All right, let's talk to them. You're afraid of going to the bank to cash a check? Let's go cash that check. Like, what are you afraid of? Really? That's it? How long are you going to live your life like that? And when are you going to be done being afraid? A um, little parable that I heard the other day that I thought was really good to make a point. Um, a guy's walking down the street. He falls into a hole. The hole's too big, so he can't climb out. A doctor comes by. He says, doctor, can you help me? And the doctor says, yeah, I'll help you. Here's a prescription. Throws it down on the hole. Well, he still can't get out. So now a priest comes by. Priest, can you help me? Sure, I'll pray for you. Prays for him. He's still in the hole. He can't get out. If 
Finally, a friend comes by. Hey, Nancy, I need help. I'm in this hole. I can't get out. Oh, sure. Let me come down there. She jumps in. He goes, what are you doing? Now we're both in the hole and we're both stuck. And she goes, listen, I've been down here before and I know how to get out. (laughs) The point is about empathy. When I talk to my students and I make this point with them about being an empathetic witness that Ben Hardy talks about in his book, in his book, um, personality doesn't exist. We all need someone in our life that can relate to us on a level that's actually like real and is actual empathy. And it may be someone that's been through the same situation. It may be someone who just can listen to understand. And I think we're all too busy with what's going on in the world and worried about us and what's next for me. What if you opened your eyes? What if you went to somebody and tried to just listen to understand? And everyone says, right, every book I've ever read about successful people, you know what it says when, once they get all the money they need and everything, what do they want to do? What, what, what do they get to the point? They realize what? That life's all going to be about helping other people. The only way to get to utopia is not money. It's not fame. It's not any of that. It's going to be the feeling they get from helping other people. And so when, when I struggle sometimes, when I wish, hey, why'd I get out of that science job? I could just be making bank and building this damn vaccine and life would be good. And I realize I have to go back like Eric talked about and recenter my purpose. I made a choice. Like I think helping young people is the most important thing that I can do to help this world. I've made that decision. I made it a long time ago. And yes, there's other things I could have done. And yes, I feel jealous sometimes. And I I feel some regret sometimes, but then I have to recenter. And that's really the choice I've made. And I don't know. That's what's hard about teaching, right? We may never know if we had an impact might take a kid till he's 50 and, you know, he sees our obituary. Oh, yeah, that Mr. Clark, I really enjoyed his class. We may never even hear about it. That's why I always t- talk about teaching and coaching. It's like delayed gratification. You know, if they don't like you, you may never hear about it. And if they do like you, you may not hear about it for 20 years that you made an impact. And so I just think at the end of the day, isn't it what the world needs right now is like empathetic witnesses? Listen, I understand But you know what we talked about before the show that everyone wants right now? Everyone wants to be right. Everyone wants to be, I told you so. Everyone wants to be like, this issue on the news, here's how it should be handled. (laughs) Because I know because I read something on Facebook. And everyone is looking to be right and no one's listening. No one's listening anymore. And I would tell you that the, the person that you appreciate the most in your life is somebody that actually listens to you. If you can find that person and you can be that for somebody else, you're ahead of the game, my friend. You're ahead of the game. Yeah, that empathy piece is is huge. I mean, even even in the first so the first days of, of history class, that's what we lay out. One of the most important pieces or one of the reasons why it's important to learn about history is the idea of empathy because you know, you think you had it bad or your experience is the one that, you know, was the worst that possibly could have happened. Well, guess what? There has been worse and it's happened to somebody and they were a person just like you. And, you know, there are people that have different experiences than you that you can try to relate to based on your own personal experiences or even just through your imagination to try and you know, feel how that must have felt. One one good one is Teddy Roosevelt. So he he uh, he was a state senator for New York, I think, when this happened. But uh, his wife was pregnant, um, and she's about to give birth. Oh, happy day, right? Uh, she gives birth, she dies, right? That same day, like three or four hours later, his mom dies in the same house, right? Two of the women that he loved the most in the world, gone. Didn't even get to say goodbye. He was like on a train coming back home when it happened. And, you know, if you have any empathy, what are you going to do? You're going to try to pretend like, okay, I want you to picture your wife and your mother dying right now 
at the same time. What does that feel like for you? Okay, because that guy felt that. And guess what? He went, he got through it, right? He gets through it. He actually goes out to become a cowboy in South Dakota. And he gets through it, and he ends up becoming the freaking president of the United States, right? I'm not saying you're going to become the president, but Mm -hmm. the point is, is that, you know, you try to feel or put yourself in that situation, and it's an important mental exercise because, you know, there are going to be things that happen that might not exactly be like that, but based on your knowledge of history, you'll know that it's, there is a light at the end of a tunnel, you know, or at the end of a, a dark place in your life because people have gone through those things. And if you, I mean, if you're going through a terrible time right now with a, with a tragic event, uh, my advice would be to look towards history because that's more than likely happened. And, you know, if you haven't had that happen yet, it's a good mental exercise. I think, I know Jordan Peterson talks about, you know, imagining yourself. I know, I don't know if this is for young males or, I mean, probably this works for both. But imagine yourself at your father's funeral. All right, that's what his mental exercise is. He says, you got to prepare yourself for that because that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he says, how are you going to be, who, what is the person or who is the person you are going to be at your father's funeral? And that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a mental exercise that tries to get you to, you know, to put yourself in somebody else's shoes where that's happened to them before. And it's, you know, it will eventually happen to you, right? And it can help you prepare for things that have not yet to yet happened. And I think it's a powerful tool, empathy, to try and, you know, help yourself get through future events. But also at the same time, you can try to feel for somebody. I mean, you think you look at like the civil rights movement. There were plenty of people that, you know, didn't make it out of that alive, right? Emmett Till, right? Beaten to death, shot in the head, thrown in a river, just discarded, right? Well, he was 13, right? Like how do you... How would you feel if you're a 13-year-old boy and you're in that moment and you're being shot just because you're black, right? That's a horrifying feeling. And you would hopefully be motivated by that horrifying feeling, even though it happened many, many years ago, to want to uh, you know, stop that from happening to anybody going forward. Yep. Yeah, I, I really think, like, honestly, empathy to me would solve a lot of the world's problems. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the opposite of empathy is, is basically, I think, hate. And, um, you know, hate is leading to anger. And anger is an emotion. And he who angers you owns you. And unfortunately, way too many people are letting anger run a lot of their life. And... Um, you know, I don't know the, the stuff you just talked about, like for whatever reason, I've naturally done that. No one taught me to envision myself at my father's funeral. No one taught me to envision if like I died today. No one taught me to envision like if something, God forbid, happened to any one of my family members. Um, you know, my, my wife's family's had some tragedies that I've uh, uh, seen up close that has been really, really um, eye-opening um, to maybe give you a different appreciation. But it's, uh, you know, I think all we're trying to do is ensure to young people that, you know, at some point you're going to need to um, decide your attitude and your mindset. And it is amazing to me. Like in this little video I watched in class with my kids about growth mindset, it talked about something, you know, whatever it is, uh, math class, and you think you're bad at math or talking to someone you don't want to talk to. What if in any situation you just changed your mindset from I'm scared to what can I learn? Like it's almost calming to think that. Like when I'm on with Eric Eric Godsey and maybe a little nervous, it's just like, what can I learn? Like what you're just another human. Like celebrities get this big, you know, stigma because they're celebrities. Um, and Eric's not a huge one by any means, but he's still to us pretty big. And, you know, they're just people. And what can I learn? And I think if we we take a step back and unfortunately we just we worry too much about ourselves and our, our social media likes and you know, if someone messages us back and, and all this stuff. And so I think empathy is like the platform. If I was running for <laughs> 
any elected office, like, honestly, that's what I would just say is like, I'm going to, and I really do like, I can live, I think a better life because no matter what side of an issue you sit on, like I can genuinely listen to understand. And it is a powerful therapeutic, like to be like, I get, I get why you feel that way. Like I total, I literally can put myself and understand why you feel that way about this issue. But I also can put myself on the other side and, and, and a lot of times see it. And if we're willing to have an understanding and the way I've handled a lot of issues in my career and relationships is to try to do that is to just literally try. And it's something that I'm not great at, but I'm getting better at. And I, I just think it's, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's opened a lot of doors for me personally. Yeah. Just the idea of like shifting it, just turning the dial to like, what can I learn in general from any situation? Like, you know, let's say you have an argument with your, your significant other or whoever your boyfriend or or girlfriend or wife or fiance, you know, and you take a moment, you know, to be aware, to kind of take a back seat to the situation. You know, I, I know Eric talked about that. There's a book that I'll probably end up reading here. That was, uh, I think it was King, King warrior, magician, lover, you know, and it's the idea that there's a lot of, a lot of different personalities bouncing around upstairs and there, there is a King though, right? There's this person or a queen that can take a back seat, you know, be aware of the situation and kind of whisper in the ear of the one in the driver's seat and say, we well, you know what, like, what's, what are you doing? What can you, how can you, you know, learn something from this situation and apply it to, to just be, you know, better overall and more, more, more than likely, um, at least in my experience, what's happened is, you know, that the limbic system, you know, that sense of calm comes over you and you realize like you come to some pretty important realizations. You, you quickly realize like, okay, maybe I am a little, maybe I am a little overstepping in this area or maybe like I am wrong in this part and maybe I'm right in this part. Maybe I'm right a little bit mm -hmm. and I can see that, but I can also see where I'm wrong. And then from that point on or from that point, you can, you know, approach the situation with a, a, a calmer point of view. And once you present that, you know, things deescalate and the situation usually is solved without even the other person, without having to be right. You know, that idea of, I want to be right. And that's where most arguments come from. But if you just take that back seat for a second, the need to be right really you know, it, it, it lowers, it goes down and you just, you finally figure out, okay, I get it. I was kind of a jerk <laughs> in just this part. But I mean, I think I was a little bit right. And I'm going to say that yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I know that that just doing that, I know from personal experience in different conflicts has, it's just melted it away, you know? Yeah. And it, you know, it, it can come off as, you know, arrogance and whatever, and but it all depends on like, are you coming at it for from sure. authentic? How you're you know, doing like it. if you actually come back and present yourself, like you know, I did, I thought about this, you know, and you know, I think that maybe there is a little truth to what you're saying here, but I think there's some truth to what I'm saying here. Do you yep. can you see where I'm coming from? And I think that's the, you know, I, I know what you mean by it when when you say it could be arrogant because somebody could come back and say like, well, I thought about it and yeah. I'm right about 50% and you're right. You know, like yep. it's all about well, disagree or agree to disagree, you know, like, yeah. like those types of things. Yeah. It's uh, I, I think it's really powerful, you know, an uh, interesting field. Um, you know, there's a lot of aspects of growth and development, but I think, you know, that the attitude and the mindset and your ability you know, we all know relationships are the name of the game. And, you know, in teaching, you, you sit down with a 23-year-old a, a and in a teaching interview, why do you want to teach? I want to help people, you know, and, it, and it's not BS, you know, it, it's real. Like, that's why we decided to do this is, is we want to influence lives. Um, but I think um, we have to understand what the young people need and we've got to adjust accordingly 
and we've got to keep up with what the research says. And this is, this is a huge part and it's something that, you know, we've both become really passionate about and, and relationships are the name of the game and, and to build real relationships, you got to be willing to uh, be honest and open and um, get students into a mindset where they're going to have to think. And uh, you know, I, I've, told you this, you know, as educators, like all my educator friends and everyone that's in education, um, I think, you know, people try to say like, oh, you're an educator, really appreciate what you do. And whether we think they really mean it or not, I don't know. But the start of this school year, the one thing I've really appreciated is that in a, in a pretty volatile society that we're in right now, where everyone's got an opinion and everyone wants to be right, when those kids walk into our classrooms, like we just teach them. And we just teach these kids to the best of our ability, and we try to instill in everyone um, genuine lessons. And and for me, like I just try to, to to treat them right, to love them, to to show them empathy, to try to understand. And I honestly think, like, if more and more people would be like teachers, and regardless of who comes into your room and who into your life, you would treat them like a teacher would. Um, and that's not to say that every teacher is perfect, but. The main point is like when these kids come in, we, we, we love on them and we do the best we can. And I, I've been really amazed at just how quiet and how great our environment has been here. And it's something that gives me a lot of hope for the future. And at the same time, when things don't look so good, like that's part of life. Like things aren't always going to look good. You know, the stock market's not going to go up every day and you know, life isn't going to be perfect. And we lose sight of that when we hit adversity. We like to talk about it, like failure is good, failure is good. But then when failure happens, we're like, oh, this is tough. This is real tough to deal with. But like, come on, we're in it right now. Let's let's be in it together and let's let's model for these young people, especially what it's like to deal with something hard. And let's be honest, what we're dealing with isn't a war and it's not, you know, life and death in the sense of like, um, sending off people to fight it's it's a different type of war but it's it's just take a breath and uh these are the things that really matter and i and i hope uh some of this helps our listeners yeah i was uh i listened to it was an old interview with that gary v had on with some morning news talk show and he was i mean he was uh fighting on the side of social media i think but the lesson that I took away from the interview was how he's, he, he talked about how he was a C and D student, CDF, I think he said student, but he said one thing that was instilled in me by my parents was, you know, high, like he had a, he prides himself on a high emotional intelligence. And really, I mean, that's all that I think we can ask for as a society is that everyone attempt to raise that, that emotional IQ. Uh, because I've had plenty of students who were C, D or F students that were great. And the fact that they didn't do great in my class didn't bother me one bit because I know that the time together that we spent was building on those things. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times what happens, especially maybe from the generational standpoint or the generational differences is that the older generation seems to think that those grades and those numbers really matter. But I mean, I'm telling you young people out there, you should <laughs> toss that advice in the garbage because <laughs> nobody asked me my high school GPA to, to start this podcast or to even, you know, do anything that I really wanted to do in life. Um, and the reason why I'm in the spots that I'm in is because I just, I started to become aware of things and I started to, to try and improve on things or even just let things, like I've said before, burn off, you know, let the dead wood burn off and simply let, you know, when the tree gets trimmed, you know, you start growing branches in other places and that's, that's what matters. And that comes from having an emotional intelligence that is, you know, at a higher level than maybe your knowledge of Civil War generals. <laughs> so I think a great question to end with that our listeners can uh, 
reflect on, journal on, or think about is that same question I ask maybe the basketball parents or I ask the players or I ask my students is if I phrased it in another way, what if um, the goals or the things in life that you really want to accomplish, the amount of money, the job title, the material items, what if it doesn't happen? What do you want? What's really important to you? What what would be the things in your life that you would really want? And I think if you do that exercise, you're gonna un you know unveil and reveal what's really important. And then what if you just lived a life where you focused on those things? And I guarantee if you focus on those things, some of those other things are gonna come. Um, maybe not all of them, but maybe more than you imagined. And uh, that's usually what you hear about a lot of people. Yeah, and I'll just add to that by saying, you know, what I, mean, I talked about this just this week, which is why it's fresh in my mind, and that is, you know, what is what is your intent, right? Not what is the result you want, but what is your intent? Because when you pick a result as the end goal, you're easily going to find that it's not attainable or you know, you're not going to know what to do when you don't attain it. But an intent is something you can continuously, you know, pound away at or improve on. And that's what you talked about when you said, you know, we got into teaching to, to help young people. We, we started this podcast to help young people. That's an intent. A result would be, you know, make this podcast number one on, you know, the self-help section. Get some dollar bills, y'all. But that isn't going to sustain us very long, right? We're not going to hit that metric and we're going to quit. Yeah. And if you... Well, maybe it depends on what. But, if you, yeah. but if you focus on the intent, it will carry you through. And this, I mean, I, this was brought up in, in terms of video production, but it's also, once again, applicable to life. If you don't have a solid intent, you know, you're going to be wandering around aimlessly. Yep. What What's your intent? And um, I'll leave with... Uh, a YouTube video I gave, uh, I have a lot of my students watch by Ryan Rigsby. It's uh, on YouTube called uh, Lessons Learned from a Third Grade Dropout. And maybe a lot of you have seen it. But at the end, he talks about um, his best advice from his late wife would just be every day ask yourself a question. How are you living? How you living? That's it from the crossover. Maybe the last episode the crossover ever does. We'll see you next time. On the Eternal Student. <laughs> <laughs>